0: while supplies last visit plantstrong.com today the six healing health habits that can help you on your plant strong voyage can be as simple as wearing gloves say what all that and more in my interview with dr Gemma newman that starts right now welcome to 2024 my plant strong champions if you're just tuning into the plant strong podcast I want you to know that I welcome you wherever you are on your Plan Strong journey, and that we have lots and lots of resources to help you along the way. For those of you that have been with us for a while, can you believe that we are now on our sixth year of the Plan Strong podcast? Sixth, thanks to you, we've now amassed over ten million downloads, and I'll go out on a limb and say that we're just getting started sharing the good news about plants. We're also being downloaded in over 175 countries, including Greece, Brazil, Italy, Denmark, Poland, Slovenia, and of course, the UK, Australia, Canada, and the good old United States of America. I am so, so grateful, which is why I could think of no better way to start the year with a huge, powerful dose of gratitude with the plant power doctor herself, Dr. Gemma Newman. Gemma's latest book, Get Well, Stay Well, The Six Healing Health Habits That You Need to Know, is available now in the UK. And the hardcover is coming to the United States on March 7th. So you're going to want to be sure to order this gem from Gemma today. This was such a fun episode. In fact, I don't think I've laughed this hard during a conversation on the podcast ever, and we did it multiple times. How could it not be a blast when you're talking about living with gratitude and love, getting outside and exercising, eating your fruits and vegetables, and getting quality sleep? As Dan Butner says, this book is the equivalent of a warm hug, and so is this uplifting and inspiring conversation. Please welcome Dr. Gemma Newman, back for her second appearance on the Plant Strong Podcast. Gemma Newman, what's a shaking across the pond?
1: Hi, Rip. How are you?
0: Well, I'm good. I'm good, but I don't care about me. I want to talk all about you today. How are you?
1: (laughs) I'm feeling fabulous. I'm happy, I'm excited, and I'm thrilled to be chatting to you.
0: Well, now you have to tell me that is such a delightful background that you have there. Where are you and how did you get such an impressive background studio?
1: Well, it's my husband's studio. He runs a communications company, and so he wanted to have all these gorgeous bowls and books. And in fact, that's my book. I don't know if you can see that. Those are two. Those two are my books: Plant Power Doctor and Say Well Get Well. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I'm sort of sneaking into his studio and using it whilst he's out. (laughs) Uh huh.
0: Uh, So you are officially interloping. Good for you.
1: I am. Been a bit bit sneaky.
0: Yeah, and because it's kind of the evening time there what are the chances of one of your children knocking on the door and coming in and uh and interrupting us
1: honestly the chances are quite high my nine-year-old especially and probably my little dog as well she she pines for me when I'm not there she's like my shadow um (laughs) so yeah she might be she might be scratching at the door any minute as well
0: (laughs) yeah well for everybody listening I want you to know that um We had Gemma on the Plan Strong podcast. Once before, she was episode number 77, which seems like ions ago. uh, Gemma, we're up to, gosh, maybe 230, 240 now. So lots has happened. You have become like this plant based guru. Like studettes. I mean, you are just, <laughs> you are just, you are rocking it. I mean, congrats on, on what you've been able to do. I mean, your, your book, The Plant powered Doctor, did incredibly well. You know, I just saw you everywhere. Everybody was talking about you. Aww. And so, like, what is, I mean, how has your life changed since your first, first book came out? And, uh, you know, in social media and your new celebrity status?
1: Oh, (laughs) well, I might be Z-list celebrity at the moment or (laughs) Z-list. Yeah, yeah, no, my life has... It's much the same in the sense that I'm still working in the National Health Service. I'm still a general practitioner. I've got my patient list. I've got nearly 3,000 patients that I look after. And I absolutely love still doing that as my day job. But I have to say, there's been some lovely opportunities over the last couple of years. And I don't know if you know, but there was an amazing film called Eating Our Way to Extinction that I was in. And Kate Winslet was the narrator. So I was really excited about that. And that was talking all about sustainable diets and how we can, you know, eat better for our planet. And just recently, I had the amazing opportunity to speak to the European Commission about sustainable diets as well, which was a huge opportunity. And it actually felt as though I was kind of Creating change, which I think sometimes you 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 like to think that you are, but you don't obviously have tangible proof that you are. But when I was stood up there in Brussels, in the European Commission building in front of the commissioners, I thought, yes, let's let's make a change.
0: Wow. were you nervous when you were speaking in front of them, or how'd you feel? You know,
1: it's really interesting. I wasn't that nervous. I felt. You know what I do when I'm going to do a big speech like that and presentations and things like that obviously you get a little bit of butterfly feeling I think that's natural but I tend to focus on the message you know I think interestingly when you get nervous it's like your ego in reverse so you know, when I say ego, people usually think of, you know, you think you're all that and you think you're amazing, but it's your ego that also makes you feel really self conscious as well, because you're thinking more about what other people think of you than what you're actually trying to say. So when I'm in that kind of situation, I like to think about the message and what I'm hoping to give rather than worrying about what they think of me. And then it kind of helps me flow a lot better and then I get less nervous.
0: <laughs> that is such wonderful advice. Did you get any of that from your husband since this is what he does? He coaches people on public speaking?
1: Yeah, he's amazing, actually. Richard Newman and his book, Lift Your Impact, which I think is actually probably behind my head. Yes, it is. <laughs> I don't know if you can watch the video. You can see Lift Your Impact. Yeah, um, yeah he he taught me that, and he has spent his entire career studying um, how to help people use their voice, how to help people lift their message because you know, he wants to help people communicate. That's, that's his raison d'etre.
0: Yeah. Well, what's so interesting uh, to me as well about what you just said is when we first talked um, gosh, well over a year and a half ago, you mentioned to me that one of the hardest things for you when you and your family, decided to go plant-based was oh my gosh what in the world are our neighbors going to think <laughs> we're yeah so worried about what your neighbors were going to think and that you would never get invited over for like dinner again
1: yeah it's true because i'm i'm much more of a social butterfly and i think for me it sounds like a silly thing to worry about but i'm sure other people must have the same ideas you know when they make a big shift in their dietary patterns and it's something that people can sometimes feel a little bit defensive about as well and so yeah it was a big worry of mine to start with but thankfully you know we still get the occasional invite here and there. So. <laughs> i'm not a complete social pariah thankfully
0: <laughs> yeah well you what happens is you typically you you make new friends
1: yeah, but yeah. there's
0: no doubt about it the number of dinner invitations goes down dramatically <laughs>
1: Yeah. Less invites for dinner and yeah, but more friends. Like you say, you know, it's the, uh, there's, there's ups and downs, but uh, yeah, no. And also you can invite people over more, right? You know, if you've got some amazing recipes you want to share, then people usually don't say no to a delicious meal.
0: No, no. Um. So I, I, since it's been a while since you've been on, I'd love for, and we have a lot more listeners. I'd love, let's just really, really briefly touch upon your voyage into plant-based could you start by giving us kind of the abbreviated version of what happened with richard and the marathon and tell us also a little bit about your family history with heart disease
1: yes so Way back when I was a young doctor and I was getting really exhausted, I thought, well, I need to try and make sure that I'm well enough and able to keep this as my career because I was doing lots of late nights and I was doing lots of long shifts and I was exhausted. And so years and years ago, I thought, right, I need to get fit. So I was doing loads of exercise. And I decided to start running back then as well. And I was eating lots of chicken, lots of fish, lots of salads. And I was able to feel more energized. And I was able to lose weight. And I was reaching a lot of my sporting goals. However, I had a lot of pain in my knees when I ran. And when I was at my peak of physical fitness in my late 20s, I decided to get um, a blood test. And it showed that I had a raised cholesterol. And I realized that that was probably part of my family history because my grandfather died suddenly of a heart attack whilst playing tennis. And at the time, it hadn't yet happened. But sadly, my father also died 59 years of age um, of a heart attack. Again, it was a big sort of sudden death, collapse heart attack, died. And so when I realized that my cholesterol was high as well at that time, I thought, well, it's just my genetic destiny. You know, I just have to put up with it. The fact is I'm doing everything I can. And I left it at that fast forward a few years and my husband decides he's going to start running marathons and he was getting a lot of inflammation, a lot of pain and, he was looking at his running technique, he was changing his footwear. And in the end, he thought, well, hang on, what about what I'm eating? What about Mm -hmm. my fuel? So he started to look at all of the ultra athletes that he'd been reading about people like Rich Roll, obviously, and Brendan Brazier and Scott Jurek. And he thought, oh, they're all eating plant based, maybe, maybe I should do the same. And I was quite skeptical, as you've rightly remembered. I'm like, we'll never get an invite to anyone's house. People are going to think we're strange. Um, and
0: you and, and, and thought he might have some nutritional deficiencies.
1: Yeah, I thought, oh, no, he's going to have a protein deficiency. Oh, uh, But, you know, I watched along and I was curious. And I'd already read a lot of the environmental research about the benefits of plant-based eating. So I knew that that was uh, you know, a good thing. But... To my mind it was miraculous he stopped getting a lot of inflammation and injury and he was running faster he was stronger he was able to improve his marathon running time um, between the first and the second marathons he ran by an hour and ten minutes and I thought wow this is really something so I began to look into a lot of the data at hand and I mm-hmm. realized that there were some amazing benefits for my patients um so I decided to give it a go myself and i I was a little bit sneaky. I thought, I'm just going to do it without telling anyone because I'm worried that if I don't quite manage it, then I'll lose face. So I started to cook plant-based and maybe about a month or so in, I said to my husband, Richard, I said, oh, you know what? I've been I've been fully vegan for the last month and he hadn't realized he was really excited. And um, I checked my cholesterol again and amazingly it had completely normalized and this was you know well over a decade after um the first time I had it checked and I was I'd had two kids I was less physically active you know all of my other health parameters would seemingly have been worse and yet I was still able to have a normal cholesterol reading and uh the other great thing was that you know with my running I ran two marathons after that and I didn't have any knee pains so mm-hmm. that was fantastic um and my patients, of course, that's the real thats the real change. That's the magic because, you know, when my patients have started to eat more plant-based, they've been seeing amazing results as well. As I'm sure you've probably heard many times on your podcast, people have been able to reduce their blood pressure and improve their digestive health and their hormonal health and all sorts of things.
0: Yes, absolutely. Another, another I think, very important thing about Richard and his marathon was, his marathon after we went plant based, he dropped his time an hour and ten minutes.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. like
0: crazy, crazy I know.
1: I know, I know. It was it was incredible. I thought that that's what really got my attention.
0: Yeah, and, and then one more story I'd love for you to tell, and then I'd love to move on with the new exciting thing. But and that is you. So I think it's incredible how over over there with your practice at NHS, you see a whole wide range of patients as kind of a family practitioner from like children all the way to geriatrics, right?
1: Right. I see newborn babies. I see women needing contraception. I see uh, elderly frail who need home visits. I see everything, anything and everything.
0: So you, I mean, you really are a jack of all, you know, jack of all traits here, but there was one story that you told about somebody, he worked uh, in the airport, he had high blood pressure, he was a driver, he was at risk of losing his job, he came in, I think this is before you were completely sold on it. Can you, can you share that story about what happened with that patient? Because it's so profound.
1: Yeah. So he came in to see me and he had this ashen look on his face and he slumped into the chair and... I said, what's wrong? Like, what's happened? And he said, I've been told to go home from work, and I need to make sure that I see you. Otherwise, I might lose my job. And I said, what has happened? And he said, my blood pressure was massively high. I had a spot test medical, and I need to be able to drive for my job. He works at Heathrow Airport. And um, I can't do that anymore because my blood pressure is dangerously high. And they told me I had to come straight to you and they revoked my license. And I said, okay, okay. Um, And this gentleman, you know, he was um, really into his uh, meat. (laughs) He loved eating meat and he would have meat with pretty much every meal. And we talked about his options. And of course I offered him medications and I explained that there was going to probably be at least three different medications that he would need likely at low to mid dose in order to get him from where he was to where he needed to be. And his blood pressure was up over 180, over 100 millimeters of mercury, which, uh, I mean, just to give you an idea, a normal blood pressure reading, a perfect sort of blood pressure would be about 120, 80 or less. So he had a lot of work to do. And he said, well, do I have to be on these tablets forever? And I said, Well, yeah, because, you know, that's the half-life of the tablet. You have to take one each morning, and if you don't take them, then your blood pressure goes up. Mm -hmm. And he said, I don't want to be on tablets for life. I said, are you willing to do anything to not be on tablets for the rest of your life? He said, anything. I will do anything. I said, okay, well let's talk about your diet. And he was quite shocked when I explained to him that eating a whole foods plant based diet would have such an impact on his blood pressure. And to be honest, I wasn't sure if it would have enough of an impact myself. But uh, he was committed because he loved his job and he didn't want to be on tablets forever. So he decided to give it a go. And incredibly, it was a really short space of time. Um, maybe just over a week or so, less than two weeks later, he was able to come back to me and his blood pressure had completely normalized, completely normalized, which I was completely shocked by because it is such a big dramatic change from 180 over 100 back down to 120 over 80. I thought it was a mistake. I said, this can't be right. I'm going to check my machine. Uh, you're going to have to come back. I did it on three separate occasions just to confirm that the readings were correct. And he was absolutely thrilled. You know, I gave him some advice about whole food, plant-based eating. I also advised him to have at least a couple of tablespoons of flax seeds every day. I talked to him about the benefits of hibiscus tea, of beetroots, all the things that you do to open up your blood vessels and increase the nitric oxide in your blood vessels so that you've got nice, supple, reactive blood vessels. And he did the whole lot. And yeah, he never looked back. He was really thrilled. And I was able to give him a medical and uh, he was able to go back to work.
0: Wow. And then you were like, this really, there's something to this. Yeah,
1: exactly. At that point, it was wonderful for me because it put theory into action and it allowed me to really understand how powerful it could be. Because I still think that many doctors and many people in the wider public don't really get that it can make a big difference. And obviously it's not a panacea, you know, we still can get sick and of course we will all die, <laughs> but it's amazing to think how much of a difference this can make if done consistently and, you know, yeah, jump, jumping all in.
0: You said something interesting. I just want to touch, ask you a question about it because you hear so many people like at our retreats and stuff say that they went to the doctor and the doctor said, yeah, you're going to be on these blood pressure medications or, You know these these diabetes medications for the rest of your life, and um, and you said that's because the half life of the medicine is you just have to keep taking it, I guess, in order to get the the results. Um, And is that because with like just let's just say traditional medicine, and because they're not prescribing food as medicine, you're never actually ever getting to the root causation of The illness to begin with is that accurate
1: um i think so and but you know what sometimes uh, the root cause is not always that obvious as well so i think my 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 way of practicing is always to look for what is it in the person's lifestyle that could be contributing and what is it that they are able to and willing to change given their background their finances their mental bandwidth like what what can they do to empower themselves without blame? Um, That's how I see it because there's lots of different people in this world that have very challenging situations that they live through and that they were born with and that they can't change. But it's lovely to know that there are a few things you could do if you were able to um, that can really make a difference. And I think, you know, when I talk about the half-life of medicines, I guess in a way you could also think about the half-life of the food, right? Like if you... If you eat healthily for a week, it doesn't mean that you are going to maintain health for the rest of your life. Um, If you take blood pressure tablets for a week, it doesn't mean that your blood pressure is going to be normal for the rest of your life. It's about consistently doing something to maintain health and hopefully happiness uh, lifelong. And it's those habits that sometimes hard to break, but are really important.
0: Mm, Great. I love that answer. And I think it's the perfect transition into your your new book, right? Uh, get, uh, get, get well stay well. Uh the 6 healthy habits that you need to know. Now, obviously you put a lot of time and energy and blood, sweat and tears into this book. When did you start writing it?
1: I was like, well, this book has my absolute heart because I started writing this book at the same time that I started writing The Plant Power Doctor because there was just so much that I wanted to say about life, about what it was like to have 20 years in clinical practice, all of the patients that I've seen, all of the life experiences that they've shared with me, and all of the things that I really wanted people to know about the psychology of, of lifestyle change, as well as, of course, nutrition. So the first book was very much naturally um, nutrition-focused because people don't often understand the power of food on their plate. But I really also wanted to have so, – so this book also has a whole chapter on nutrition and why it's important, um, but it also has so many other things. And, yeah, I think for me it was, it was a real passion project, and I – really love it honestly i love 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 this book
0: (laughs) (laughs) well you were you were kind enough to send me over a pdf and it is just it really is chock full of just so much incredible information and it is so um beautifully written you um you have an acronym that you kind of ingeniously came up with. And I think you said it was Millie that kind of helped you (laughs) with with the acronym. And it's GLOVES, which is the acronym that serves for your six six healing health habits. Uh, How did you come up with GLOVES?
1: You know, I use GLOVES a lot in my clinical practice, as I'm sure many doctors do for intimate examinations, for infection control, Uh, And many times I'm taking them off and I'm putting them on. And I was in clinic one day and I was seeing a patient of mine who you've mentioned, and she, um, she's a nurse and she has to wear gloves a lot too. And sadly she came in to see me with a latex allergy. So Mm. she had really nasty eczema on her hands as a result of having to wear gloves all the time. And, you know, her hands have got very sweaty and she developed an allergy to latex. So she was in a really bad way. And what was required of me in that consultation was to give her some moisturizing creams, maybe give her some steroid creams and to advise her to start using non-latex gloves, right? Those are the things that were required. And she would have gone away perfectly happy with that. But, you know, when it comes to understanding a little bit more about someone's life, it's always helpful to kind of take a little bit of a scratch below the surface. So in Millie's case, you know, she was living in a house share, a flat share, and she was really busy as a nurse. Uh, she would work hard. She would play hard. She was out at weekends drinking alcohol quite frequently, um, lying in, um, not really looking after nutrition. She'd grab food on the go. You know, she would uh, like get a croissant and a coffee on her way into work. She'd, she wouldn't have time to sit down and eat. Same for lunch. She'd maybe have a ham and cheese sandwich. She would get a takeaway meal in the evenings. She'd scroll through social media to help her relax maybe watch a little bit of Netflix. And then that was her routine and she was exhausted. You know, she was really tired. And um, I noticed that she also had other um, risk factors for immune issues, for example, things like asthma and seasonal hay fever. And she also had a bit of thyroid dysfunction. So we talked a bit more about her lifestyle and between us, we came up with a a three-pronged strategy the, the, the three things that she felt she could do to improve her lifestyle, which were to batch cook a little bit on a Sunday so that she had a few meals for the week, which meant that she wasn't getting a takeaway. Um, she was able to, she decided that she would prioritize sitting down to eat breakfast, sitting down to eat lunch. <laughs> which sounds simple, but... You know, it's it's an important thing to help your digestion, to help your enzymes in your mouth, for amylase digest the sugars that you're eating, and allow you that moment of calm. Allow your gut microbes to start kicking in. They've got their own circadian day-night rhythm as well, by the way. And the third thing that she decided that she was going to do was she was just going to um, uh, what was it now? On, I've forgotten what she said. That <laughs> <laughs> she was yeah. gonna. Back cook Maybe. on a Sunday. She was going to sit down to eat. Oh, yes, that's right. It was about sleep. Uh-huh. She was going to ensure she set an alarm on her phone to go to bed an hour earlier than she was before and wake up at a consistent time. That was, Those were the three things that she was going to do. And when I saw her, I think it's about three months later. She was thrilled because she was able to actually cut back on her asthma medication. Her issues with her skin hadn't come back, thankfully, and her skin overall had improved. And also her thyroid regulation had improved as well. And these were things I couldn't possibly have known for sure. But it's amazing how simple lifestyle changes done consistently can have a fantastic effect on our overall health. So that got me thinking. I was thinking, gloves for her were obviously the precipitant of her issues but she was willing to take the gloves off and get the work done and I thought it also is the perfect acronym for the six things that I think are crucial for our well-being and the things that are completely free and easy to access so this is not an expensive plan you don't need a ton of supplements or you know biohacking tools you just need these six habits in your day-to-day life and you'll do well so do you want to know what they are rip
0: I, I, I absolutely do, but not yet. Not yet. I, I want to I tease our listeners just for a little bit longer because you you say that the body, mind, and the soul are not separate. And I think that um, intuitively, I think we all know that, but I don't think, and I'll speak for myself, that as many people engage in those three things like body mind soul and this kind of big holistic uh overview that is so important and obviously is what you are uh that you've done here with with your new book.
1: Yeah, I think it seems so obvious when you say it. Um but actually you you can't really separate body and mind and soul because to me they are all part of the one that is us. Uh, And every patient that I think, realistically, that I've ever seen who is living with a chronic condition is all too familiar with the fact that their mood um, and their um, ability to have autonomy and a feeling of Safety in their lives has a direct impact on their perception of pain and their ability to effectively live with their chronic disease like it's very very much connected and in order to really look after the physical body some uh, some people need to look after their mental health first and vice versa Somebody could have the healthiest diet you could possibly imagine, but still suffer with crippling anxiety, which completely derails their life. Um, and so I just think it's really important to recognize that that as humans, we're multifaceted and we need to look at all of the parts of the whole, not just one.
0: Yeah. And, and you mentioned in the book as well that when COVID hit, didn't you see a whole new level of kind of anxiety and mental kind of illness that presented itself?
1: Yeah, of course. It's, it was a very challenging time. And I still see that now. I see we have increasing rates of uh, depression, anxiety, self-harm, feelings of social isolation and loneliness, increased rates of autoimmune diseases, Uh, even in young people, increased rates of things like bowel cancers and inflammatory bowel disorders, uh, fibromyalgia, um, post-COVID syndrome. We have a whole generation of people who I think feel let down by life chances, let down by maybe the healthcare system, let down by... What's been happening in the world recently, and of course, things like eco anxiety are a big thing now as well. It's very real to consider, you know, that we don't have the same kind of world for our children and grandchildren to grow up in as perhaps we had. And these are all things that feed into each other. And in fact, the the Lancet report was amazing at actually giving that a name. It's a global syndemic. You know, we have increased rates of chronic diseases such as heart disease and cancer and diabetes in tandem with increased risk of undernutrition, increased risk of infectious diseases that are fueled by the animal agriculture industry and our overuse of antibiotics and antibiotic resistance. And of course, um, a lot of the existential crises that we now face as a result of climate change, that's called a global syndemic, which I think is something that we now really need to focus our attention on. And what I aim to do in this book, rather than focus too much on all of the things that we can't control, this book is really to help empower people f- to feel as though there are things that they can do that they can control.
0: Mm. You may, So you said two things: a eco um, eco anxiety, I think you said, and you yeah. said global syndemic. Yeah. What, what is a syndemic? I don't know that word.
1: A syndemic is where you have health parameters that are affected, uh, are affecting huge swathes of the population. So, for example, an epidemic you'd know you'd be familiar with in terms of, wow. we, us- we usually refer to infectious diseases as becoming epidemic. But, of course, in popular parlance, we now talk about how chronic diseases as a result of overnutrition or poor nutrition can also be thought of as an epidemic. And a syndemic is where the different kinds of epidemic interact with each other and enhance the effects of each other. So when we talk about climate change and the effects of the animal agriculture industry, we see that these epidemics of chronic disease, um, obesity and undernutrition and infectious diseases interact with each other and are enhanced by one another that's why it's a it's it's called a syndemic because they are synergistic
0: got it man you you are a great teacher oh (laughs) thank you (laughs) you're a great explainer that was really great uh okay i think it's time let let's let everybody know what gloves stands for and why everybody needs it
1: (laughs) gloves stands for gratitude love Outside, veggies, exercise, and sleep. Mm. Now sounds
0: delicious to me.
1: (laughs) Yes. Now it's a bit strange, I know, when you hear doctors talk about gratitude and love, but there is a lot of science behind the book. As you would have seen, you know, there's a ton of references there. It's so crucial for us to be able to Understand the concepts of looking after ourselves and each other and how that can be done practically and focusing on the things that make us feel good and that give us a sense of community and connectivity. Um, as a way of boosting our health. And that's why, I mean, fortunately, the first two letters of gloves, which is very handy, because I do think that they're the first two things that I think of um, when I think about what it means to get healthy and stay healthy. Because when you are living a life filled with gratitude practices, and when you are living a life where you are mindful of what your values are, and how you want to give to your family, your friends, your wider community, it's much easier for you to have the self-compassion that it takes to maintain healthy dietary and movement habits.
0: So when it comes to gratitude, are there any exercises that you recommend that the listener starts to engage in just to kind of, because I, I know, I know a lot of people that never express gratitude. It's just not part of their, it's not part of their makeup. And I I am trying to get much better at it. But is there, is there, is there a, a way that you recommend us um, e- express gratitude? Or how do we start if we're not good at it?
1: <laughs> I love that question. And in the book, I have made a table, which if oh. you're watching this, you'll be able to see. It's the Gloves Daily Action Guide. And you can see each of the categories. Yes. Um, you can Very see practical things that you can do that will actually boost your ability to, um, feel gratitude. So, um, so for example, I've got something called the meaning maker exercise, which I can talk you through, which is quite nice. Um, but also there are other techniques, um, that will allow you a lot more peace with where you're at. So I've encompassed a few things in the gratitude chapter because, I mean, the truth of human existence is that we will all experience some form of suffering and that we will all experience pain. And it's often how we process those experiences that can really feed into the quality of our lives. And the the role of the gratitude chapter is not to try and always think positive and push down negative emotions because that doesn't work. Um, but I think it's important to have a positivity slant and also have a sense of acceptance of where your emotions are going, a feeling of understanding yourself and why you get into some sort of negative rumination patterns and then actively seek to move through them and um, take in some more positive habits. So if you are struggling to know where to begin,
0: Mm.
1: you can do something simple, which is a reframing exercise Um, which basically means when something that you have decided is bad happens, take a moment, pause, and think about the ways in which you have learned something from that experience. And again, it doesn't minimize the experience or make someone get away with something that they may have done to you, but it just allows you a moment to think, Is there something that I could have done differently in that moment? Is there something that I have learned about myself that I'm proud of because of what happened? And to journal, I'm a huge fan of journaling. Mm. Uh, not, Not everybody is. And if it's not somebody's habit, then you won't necessarily start with that. But it really helps me to write these things down because in fact there's a study which i will share with you um about the power of gratitude even if you are feeling low so the study took people who were requiring counseling for low mood and they split them into three different groups you had a group that was asked to write a gratitude diary of things that they felt grateful for things that they'd noticed and it doesn't have to be a lot you you could be grateful that your lungs breathe Mm. grateful that your arms move or you know whatever Um, The second group uh, wrote down the things that were on their mind, the things that had been bothering them. And the third group was a control group and they only had the therapy. So all three groups had therapy, I should say. And what was interesting is that um, all three groups improved, but it was the group that wrote the gratitude journal that improved the most significantly of the three And it's something about being able to reframe your experiences with an awareness of what you could take Mm -hmm. from them that really helped to empower people and uh, make them feel better psychologically and, of course, um, physically, too.
0: What's the last thing that you can remember where you express gratitude for something?
1: well um just before I came in here I told the boys that I was so grateful that they were going to behave themselves or that, that once they finished their dinner I was like I was, it was actually to be honest that was more of a behavioral control point I'm like yeah. I am so grateful that you boys are so responsible you know when I come back in I'm so grateful because I know that you're both going to be in your pajamas <laughs> Yes. So actually, to be honest, if I'm being brutally honest, that's a, an expression of gratitude with a hope that they would actually do <laughs> what I asked them to do.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. But,
1: but but for me, honestly, I have found it transformational in my life because I know that when I when I feel grateful for every single thing that I currently have in my life, which is a hard thing to do because you don't always want everything that's in your life. And I know a lot of people have very challenging circumstances. Um, But for me personally, it really helps to shift what I notice. And I think that that's true for everyone because our brains work in an interesting way. If I told you Rip to not think about pink elephants, you don't think about pink elephants, please don't think about pink elephants. You're going to start thinking about pink elephants. (laughs) And in a way, it's it's similar with gratitude. If you start to notice the good things that people do, the smiles that you receive, the compliments that you receive, and say thank you rather than pushing them away or trying to minimize them or trying to um, immediately think something negative, then it makes you more compassionate not only towards yourself but towards other people as well,
0: mm-hmm. Which is
1: which is another way of enhancing your quality of life.
0: Yeah. Um what I love too is you talk about it in in the book how much well how the radical transformations that you've seen not only with your patients but also in your family and yourself. So these are things that you're actually doing at home with you with yourself and Richard and your lives. Yeah. You know, and and having really wonderful results. So cool. Um let's move on. Can we move on to love? Of course. Um, Um, Yeah. So like, I I know you kind of mentioned it, you kind of grouped it in there with gratitude, but I'm wondering if specifically we want to address anything more on love.
1: So in the love chapter, I talk about a lot of different things, but in terms of practical things that your listeners might be interested in for this conversation, I talk about um, our self-talk, the things that we say to ourselves when we're by ourselves and mm. you know we can't ever escape ourselves and what i've noticed over the years with my patients is that they can sometimes be their own absolute worst critics and they would never dream of saying the things that they say to themselves to their friends or loved ones and yet they feel as though you know they deserve to have a constant barrage of negativity in their own minds and
0: why are we so hard on ourselves like that why do you think that is that most people are like that
1: well I think there's not one straight answer. Um, <laughs> I think there's probably lots of things that contribute to that. I think sometimes, you know, when you have a busy mind, uh, you tend to believe all the things that you hear yourself say, whether it's in your own head or out loud. And people tend to believe themselves when they say certain things, but they sort of forget that they don't actually have to believe every single thought that they have.
0: Mm. You know,
1: that if they can imagine themselves sitting on a park bench and imagine each of their thoughts as a person who just happens to be walking along in the park and they can just watch that person walking along. It might be somebody walking their dog, some kids hanging out at the play park, somebody going for a jog. These are all different thoughts running through their head and they are the observer. They don't have to believe every single one of them. They just, they're just kind of, you know, rock on by. It doesn't have to mean that that is objective truth about yeah, yeah. who you are and, and what you think and who you, who you are as a person. So I think once people realize that they are not their thoughts, their mm. thoughts are just their brains coming up with sometimes quite random things. It doesn't actually have to be an expression of their identity. Uh, I think that really helps.
0: Uh, you made me think of... Um... When we talked about the global systemic, maybe it's a self-systemic.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's a really powerful thought. It's actually, well, the the phrase is syndemic.
0: Syndemic. (laughs) syndemic. Yeah, see, look at me.
1: (laughs) But yeah, no. (laughs) I'm so stupid. (laughs) No, stop it. Stop it. It's just a thought. It's just a thought.
0: Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, I think about one of my patients. I, I, It's actually quite a sad story. She's a really high-functioning person, very intelligent, and she was struggling with anxiety, and she's a happily married young professional. She had a lovely little uh, baby, and she was – thinking about going back to work. And every time she thought about it, she became crippled with anxiety, and she'd have these horrendous panic attacks. And I asked her to tell me a bit more about her daily routines and the kind of things that, that she was doing, trying to unpick, understand why she was feeling this way. And every time she thought about leaving her baby, she'd start to have these racing thoughts around her daughter's safety and about her ability to be able to get back to work and I said, where does this all come from? And then she broke down in tears. And, you know, she told me that the thoughts that she had in her head is that I'm not good enough. I can't even stop my baby from crying. I'm useless. I'm stupid. I'm pathetic. I'll be rubbish at my job when I go back. I can't even remember anything. And the list went on and on. It was literally a barrage of self-abuse. And, you know, it was quite a shock to hear all this coming out of her mouth because I'd seen her many times before and she was always really smiley and I hugely just Mm. a lovely positive person. And, um, I asked her, you know, how she'd feel if, if she was with somebody who said those things to her and she said, Oh, well, you know, I wouldn't stay around very long. You know, that's a horrible thing to say. And uh, in her case, you know, she mentioned that when she was younger, her father used to be quite critical and he'd say certain things that made her feel as though she wasn't good enough. And she was doing a lot in her life with hindsight that she thought might impress him mm-hmm. uh, in order to seek his approval and gain his approval. And it it was only really in breaking down the ideas that she had about herself through the self-talk that she was subjecting herself to. And it wasn't even a conscious choice uh, that she could see these patterns and how they played out in her life, and I think that awareness really helped her because mm-hmm. she began to understand that it was not an objective truth. And we did a, you know, there's an interesting exercise in the book that I share that really helps you to get away from those kinds of thoughts because not everybody has a high high self-esteem, and you don't necessarily believe it when you start to shift your thoughts. You know, there's a part of you that thinks, "Oh, well, that's not true. Well, that's not true. (laughs) So for her, um, there was a lovely exercise where we we talk about um, positive role modeling and a good guide, which is one of the tenets of um, compassion-focused therapy uh, rather than cognitive behavioral therapy. It's slightly different, but Mm. it allows you to imagine your best mentor, and it doesn't have to be somebody who um, even exists in real life. It could be somebody from a movie, somebody that you admire from afar. But imagine what that mentor would say to you when you're struggling uh, rather than trying to come to your own rescue. And if you could imagine what they might say to you, um, then that can be really helpful, again, as a journaling tool, rather than just kind of becoming mired in all of these negative thoughts that you're, yeah. you're generating.
0: I've heard that we have, on average, something like sixty thousand thoughts a day—something ridiculous like that. And of those sixty thousand, most people, like ninety thousand of them, are negative, negative thoughts. Um,
1: do you do you feel that way, Rip? I mean, how does this how does this land with you? What have you noticed Whoa, about yourself? Uh,
0: it's so funny. I was just going to ask you, but um, you know, I would say that I am i am more positive than negative right but there's certainly negative that that is 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 in there and it creeps up but i i really do like myself right i mean i i love myself and um and i know a lot of people that can't say that about themselves do you love yourself yes how long have you loved yourself
1: oh i adore myself
0: (laughs) i love i love that you love yourself i love it so much
1: and i love that you love yourself oh oh my goodness it's a funny thing to say isn't it
0: no isn't it yeah. Isn't it? I, I almost feel like uh, it's a naughty thing to say out loud in front of other people. <laughs> <laughs> so you're so conceited. Do you oh, yes. actually love yourself? <laughs>
1: How dare you! <laughs>
0: oh gosh, no
1: i I think I think it all all jokes aside. I think it's really important to love yourself and. You know, it's very possible to try and shift some of those patterns that we've had for so long. Mm -hmm. This is why I have a huge amount of love and respect for my mum, because all it takes is one loving caregiver. Doesn't have to be both parents. Doesn't even have to be a parent. But one loving caregiver in your life, ideally of course, throughout your childhood, but especially in that first year when you're a baby and you've got all these synapses that are connecting and growing. You know, that I think I think it's between 700 and 1,000 new synaptic connections a second are happening in the brains of babies. And love is truly the main thing other than milk that a baby needs to thrive and for their brains to grow and all those synaptic connections to really um you know, take root, and I—I I felt loved. You know, it was in some ways a chaotic childhood, and I won't go into all of that because that will, I'll be here all night. But I think when you do feel truly loved by at least one person, it helps to give you some emotional resilience. And there are studies to show that when you experience adverse child. Um, childhood experiences, um, then having at least one healthy or, or happy caregiver who gives you love really helps you weather those storms effectively and helps you to feel that, you know, you can love yourself. Now we can, I truly believe, be healers of each other. So if you didn't have that as a child, it doesn't mean that you are never going to experience that, but it just means that your journey to it might be a little bit more rocky. So I feel truly thankful that even throughout what some people on the outside would say was a difficult childhood, I did feel truly loved. And so I feel happy to say that I do love myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really nice. I feel the same way. I mean, my mother, Anne, was such a loving, wonderful mother uh, to all of her children and um, had such a great sense of humor and just made us all feel like we were just so perfect and adorable and um and uh just great human beings so yeah that anyway that was great all right shall we move on
1: <laughs> if you want to Rick, we can still talk about how much you love yourself
0: <laughs> i'm i'm good if you're good, good. <laughs> yeah uh so what's that uh, what's next oh right
1: yeah i is for outside because i think for many people um when they have an appreciation of nature and what nature can give us, it allows them to feel a certain amount of respect and connection with the uh, natural world. And hopefully then would also make them feel more interested in sustaining and protecting it. So there's an external benefit from being outside and an internal benefit. And the health benefits to us are pretty remarkable. And there's some wonderful research um, into, um, spending time in nature and what it can do not just for our mental health but also for our immune system and our ability to um weather the coughs and colds of winter time and such like i think it's actually really a, an underdeveloped area of research that i think is is hugely important
0: well you refer to the outside as nature's antidepressant. Yeah. And I, in coming back to love, I love, 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 love nature and the outdoors and, and everything that it gives back to me when I take the time to go out and experience it. It's just incredible.
1: Yeah, it really is. And there are so many potential reasons why that would be. Even when you look at nature scenes, you don't have to be outside, although obviously there are some amazing benefits from actually being outside and you can even exercise outside, which brings you into the E of gloves as well. But just looking at nature scenes has been shown to be beneficial to us in terms of our mental health. and. There's some great studies on people who were staying in hospital and had a window that overlooked a natural scene or a hospital courtyard, how they reported their hospital stay as being more pleasant. They required less pain relief on average, and they actually had a shorter hospital stay as a result of just being able to look at a natural scene. And you know, yeah. the same is true of the way that you view the world. So, there's obviously an evolutionary advantage to the fight or flight sympathetic nervous system response to danger. But in terms of our longevity and our ability to connect with others and have um, thoughts and ideas and collaborations, we have to also be able to engage the parasympathetic nervous system. And we can do that in some ways, even by changing our focus. So from looking at something that's very close to you, like a computer screen, being able to relax your eyes and look out into the distance, preferably towards the horizon, whatever that looks like for you, wherever you are, ideally outside, you completely shift your nervous system and the way that that your eyes respond to stimuli. And it allows you that space um, to, to feel more calm, to feel more connected. Um, and, the fractals that you see in nature there's some very specific recurring patterns and fibonacci sequences that you can only really see in natural patterns and they go from things as small as a shell to as large as a coastline or a mountain these incredible recurring patterns that are that have a certain visual resonance that our eyes really respond to and yeah the smells the smells of nature the phyton sites that are released from primarily evergreens mm. that, uh, can impact our immune system positively. And there's some great studies on that as well. Um, so yeah. And of course, microbes being a- being able to experience a variety of microbes on our skin, in our lungs, uh, are another way of really interacting with nature in a positive
0: way. Where, where do you live in the UK? Do you live in an urban area or are you out in more of a rural area?
1: I feel very fortunate that I am close to London, but that I am also close to one of the very few remaining ancient woodlands in the UK. We have a real problem with agricultural land and urban areas taking over this tiny island. Um, Only, I think, just over 2% of our land mass remains ancient woodland. And I am very lucky that I live a short walk to a beautiful Beautiful forest.
0: Um was that and and was that intentional on the part of you and Richard?
1: Yes, it was. I grew up by the sea and I love the sea. And there are so many reasons why um blue therapy, as it's called, um, uh is is beneficial for us, and there are lots of health benefits of being near a sea, but the forest is my second love, and so to live in a village where we are a short walk anywhere in that village to about 400 acres of ancient woodland is a real blessing. And not everybody has that. And I would say for people who live in cities and in urban environments, do not lose hope because there are plenty of ways that you could bring nature into your environment. Um, But yeah, I'm really lucky to live near the woods. And in fact, it has been used for many movies. There are scenes from the Harry Potter franchise that were filmed in our woods and the old classic movie with Kevin Costner, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Some of that was also filmed in the woods near my home.
0: Wow. So lucky. Lucky yeah. you. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I feel the same way. I was out on a mountain bike ride. This is probably back in 2010 or 11. And I saw all these homes that in their backyards opened up to this vast green space of like 20,000 acres. So I went to a real wow. buddy of mine and I said, Hey, if one of these houses on this street ever uh, facing West ever comes in the market, please let me know. And he let me know two years later, <laughs> two years later, and uh, we were able to get it. And so we've been there since 2014, but our backyard literally is nature. And uh, it is just such uh, w- you talk about gratitude. Every day, every evening, we go for a walk to the aisle house and back. And every morning, we go out and we basically, you know, give thanks to the birds and the greenery and the Fabonacci patterns and the fractals, all that stuff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That is so beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, and, and it makes a huge difference to your quality of life, I'm sure.
0: Oh, uh, I mean, yeah. I just, uh, I feel sorry for people that that don't have a little bit a little bit of nature. But to your point, if you if you're in in the urban area, there's some things that you can do. Yeah, um, yeah. and it's really
1: interesting to learn a bit more about town planning. Actually, when it comes to green spaces and uh, running water and the effect on people's mood when they you know that when they are near a fountain, um, and you know, you've got that's yeah. loads of amazing projects in bringing green spaces back to cities and. Basically, you know, you can go to a local park and reap some of the very similar benefits. If you don't have a garden or a backyard, sorry, you know, you can go to a park and you can even bring even bringing a few herbs into your kitchen. OK, you are tending to these herbs and you, you know, you've you got these little plants on your windowsill. Yes. That is in and of itself really helpful. Uh, people who have houseplants tend to have less in the way of moles and bacteria because the plants help to, um, eliminate those. And they may also slightly improve the amount of volatile organic compounds in the air through things like cooking and other kind of inhalants in the house. So there are benefits anyway, even if you don't have a garden.
0: Wow. How did you get to be so smart and knowledgeable? (laughs)
1: Well, I read a few books. I've I've definitely (laughs) read a few books, Rip. And that's very kind of you. Thank you. I don't, you know, it's funny. I don't feel smart. So it's very nice that you've said that. And I will accept that compliment. Thank you.
0: Yeah. But it, 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 so, so if we can go back a little bit to the love, loving ourselves. So do you consider yourself like bright or smart? Because, I mean, you really, really are. I'm just wondering if you think that though of yourself.
1: I... I think it's natural for us to compare ourselves to people that we perceive to be more than. So I sometimes will compare myself to someone that I perceive to be more smart, more clever. And then I catch myself and think, you know what, you have something very unique to bring to the world and you've got a pretty decent brain, but above all else, you're a kind person and you want to do good things for people. And I think that sense of mission makes me feel good about myself.
0: Well, and and you wrap it all up in the most charming package ever. I mean, it's really delightful. Um, Yes. So let's move on, shall we, to vegetables, which I don't know a thing about, and I know you don't either. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: you know, this should have been the easiest chapter, and in a way, to be honest, it was. If, (laughs) but I had to include i had to include a nutrition chapter because of my moniker plant power doctor Mm -hmm. um but also you know it's amazing to think there are just four health conditions that that drive 80 percent of all premature deaths globally um and those health conditions are heart disease lung disease diabetes and cancer Mm -hmm. and What I find completely mind-blowing is that about 80% of these premature deaths can be prevented by adopting four healthy habits, which are a healthy diet, predominantly consisting of plants, regular physical activity, which is the exercise part, uh, not smoking, and a sensible use of alcohol. And just the one that has the most out of all of those four is the food. It's the most impactful of all of those four. So of course I had to talk about it because it's the most obvious thing people can change and not everybody comes at it from a psychological point of view straight away. So it's a lovely practical inroad into feeling better quickly.
0: Yeah. And tell me with your patients, uh, how do you go about trying to get them to include more vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, into their into their life do you have a do you have a uh, a trick or or a method
1: yeah my my method i wouldn't call it a trick
0: <laughs> no, obviously i corrected myself there yes yeah, i
1: love that i love that my method is to listen
0: <clears throat> so what's that
1: <laughs> you're pretty good at it really you've been listening to me for about god knows how long now yeah <laughs> you know yeah it's to listen I need to figure out. What. Huh?
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm done. I'm
1: done. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! Yeah. So you know, people don't change unless they feel they can change. You're love, You've got the giggles.
0: <laughs> yeah. So do you? Yeah. Uh, okay.
1: okay. Right. Let's, but, let's put it, let's let's, put it let's, together. Let's
0: it compose together. ourselves here. <laughs> Get it together. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh. So okay. I, yeah.
0: So 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 you, so you so I think that's so incredible you actually sit back and you listen I mean that is a lost art today
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> yes it is I listen so I need to figure out what's important to them and why they eat the way they do and once I've figured that out and also figured out what they've come to me with, I can aim to tailor my advice based on their particular requirements. So, if somebody's coming in to see me because they're getting chest pain, I'll talk to them about how they can create a better future without chest pain, what that might look like for them and what they feel able to and willing to bring into their lives. And if they've got period pains, I'll talk to them about how it feels to have a pain-free period, what it would mean for them, what they could do day-to-day differently. And once I have been able to figure out what's important to them and the symptom that they are aiming to ameliorate, I can then focus my advice on that Mm. So, you know, talking right. about studies on period pain or talking about studies for heart disease or whatever it might be. And then, of course, giving them some practical tools if they are able to and willing to, because over the last 20 years of clinical practice, especially because I see so many people that don't come to me specifically to want to change their life. They mm. they get a little bit of a shock sometimes when I talk about other things. Um, they need to be ready. And you can sometimes plant that seed and the soil might be you know full of uh, nutrients and they might have had it watered just the right amount and they might have had just the right amount of sunshine and that seed will grow into a glorious plant but not always and sometimes you just plant the seed and then you've got to come back to it later
0: so when, would you say that the majority of your 3000 plus patients <laughs> know that you are the plant power doctor do they know your your bias towards Plans,
1: um, not when they sign up.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Some of them know because you know they they have gradually followed me on social media, or they they've, they've uh, seen that I have a book and they want to get the book and they want to talk to me about it. And of course, that's a lovely way in. Um, but many of them have no idea, and then it's only um, you know when we talk a little bit more about lifestyle and nutrition that they begin to understand a bit more about where i'm coming from and that's a lovely surprise i mean for some of them they're not necessarily in the mindset to be able to change what they're doing um and that's okay that's okay um but yeah i would say most of them don't know when they come and see me at least initially
0: do you have your book for sale for them or to to read and uh,
1: yeah, we, we have it to read. I don't sell my book at work. Um, yeah. I I provide it on a, um, I guess it's like a mini library basis. Uh, People can take the book and they can read it and bring it back as a kind of like a trust library. <laughs> yeah. um, and there's free resources on my website and some of them will want to buy the book. And that's wonderful, but I don't sell it at work.
0: Yeah. Well, that's that's so noble of you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Um, Well, I think I think most of the listeners really understand the importance of vegetables. So why don't we move on to exercise? Mm. Uh, um, Because I think, as we all know, (laughs) and this is such an overused quote, but you know, uh, sitting has become the new smoking, and (laughs) it seems like. I was talking to somebody on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and she was adamant. She's like, yeah, I heard a study that most people are sitting 10 hours a day. I call BS on that. I think it's more like 14 hours. So (laughs) exercise, we got to exercise, don't we? We got to move.
1: We've got to move. Yes. And actually when I think about it, it's probably the pillar that I am less instinctively able to, uh, do because for me, especially when I was younger, you know, I don't know if other people feel this way, but I was very, I, I was an I was an only child for, uh, for quite a lot of years before my younger sister was born. And then like, going through the changes of puberty and you know, I didn't have a sports bra. Okay. I didn't have, uh, mm. the things that would allow me to regularly feel as though I could move my body in a carefree way. And that really, I feel stifled my, uh, my desire to move, which is quite sad when you think about it. Mm. Um, and then it led to many years of physical inactivity for me personally. You know, it took me a long time to instinctively decide, well, not even instinctively, it actually took me to telling myself, no, you've got to move <laughs> to do it because it didn't come naturally to me. Um, and I, I, I want to actually just sort of acknowledge that for many people, it doesn't come naturally. And that um, that's okay, um, but it is important to know the benefits so that you can find ways to integrate it into your life um, in a way that 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 you can actually enjoy it. You know, so that it's not a chore, um, and it's something that you can actually benefit from. And I, for me personally, I found it really helpful to look at movement in terms of making my body, uh, loving my body. You know, making it strong, making sure that I go into my, um, dotage in years to come with a strong body, uh, one that can get me through anything. And rather than worrying too much about things like having a nice bikini body, uh, you know, it's, it's more about loving yourself rather than restricting yourself. Personally, that's how I I look at it.
0: Yeah. Um, I've heard the term a durable, a durable body. It's, it's, it's funny, Gemma, because I have, I have always been active, incredibly active, almost maybe to a fault where, you know, if I've got free time, I want to figure out a way I can move, right? <laughs> well,
1: that's a lovely advantage. You know, isn't that a great advantage to have that as, as your default mode?
0: Right. But it's funny because I've had some injuries just in the last couple of years. I broke my ankle mountain biking. And so I was inactive for, well... I mean I I couldn't I couldn't walk for almost 6 months. And so that Aww. was that was very difficult on wow. me. Um
1: yeah, that but, must have been hard.
0: It was, but getting back it made me so empathetic to people that have a bad shoulder or a bad knee or bad knees or aching knees because when something hurts, you don't want to get out and move. You're not as as motivated motivated or incentivized. And um uh, and I also find that it's really nice. You sent at, at the top of the podcast. You mentioned something about just being consistent, right? And I have found when I'm con- when I consistently swim five days a week, when I play pickleball four days a week, when I'm doing it, and I, it just naturally, it's like this flywheel, right, that just goes. But if you stop, it's really hard to get back on that flywheel.
1: Yeah, it really is. And so I think acknowledging how hard it is is a wonderful way of bringing people in because like you, I've had times in my life where I've got into the habit of not moving and then to talk yourself into actually getting outside, putting on some sneakers and going for a five-minute run even um, is, is, uh, is a challenge. But it's so crucial, you know, there are an incredible amount of data now to talk about how amazing it is for our mental health and our physical health and our longevity to move our body. We're made to move. Um, And it doesn't have to be that you have a gym membership. It doesn't have to be that you are, you know, even considering yourself to be somebody who is athletic. You just have to just start somewhere and maybe like little movement snacks, you know, so if you're waiting for the kettle to boil, you might want to grab a couple of cans of baked beans and, you know, lift them or do some tricep dips or something, uh, just, just to give you a few minutes of movement throughout the day. And that's a lot of, you know, the, the emphasis in the blue zones is, is not about having a a, you know, a gym membership or uh, doing high intensity interval training or, you know, whatever it might be. It's just about maintaining a consistent level of movement, or at least making that part of your habits. So, you know, in the E section of the book, I talk about moving your body, but I also talk about breathing because breathing is one of the few things that you can actively change the way that you breathe and affect your autonomic nervous system. Whereas, you know, there's not many other active ways that you can do that. So, I include uh, breath work in that chapter as well, which I think people might find interesting.
0: Mm. Hmm. What have you done to move today?
1: I, well, I went in to see my publisher and I uh, was, um, signing a few of my books. It was nice to see them, but for the properly see the books. So I was doing a lot of walking, um, on the tube network in London. And I decided Mm -hmm. that I would not stand on the escalators that I would walk up and down every long escalator I could find. And I did
0: (laughs) very nice.
1: Yeah. Now,
0: now are, are you into counting your steps and wearing like a ring or a watch or anything like that?
1: I have to say, instinctively, I don't tend to use tech that much. Um, I know some people love it because it's a wonderful incentivizer. And i let you know my a uh, little story. I said to my husband I really wanted one of those rings that I could check my heart rate variability. <laughs> yeah. And um, he kindly bought me one for Christmas. So I wore it for about two weeks and decided I didn't want to wear
0: it anymore. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I think for me... Um, I tend not to be too prescriptive around having to or wanting to count steps and and look at my data, but for some people that's really helpful and valuable. Um, and in fact, I wrote in the book about where the ten thousand steps came from. It's quite an interesting story. It was around the time that Japan was hosting the Olympics, and the symbol for ten thousand happens to look like somebody walking. Yeah. Um, and so that's where it actually came from. But it, there is some pretty good consistent data to show that that's a good amount of physical activity as well. So it's just as well that the symbol looks like a 10,000 and not a five or
0: something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Hey, one of the things I overlooked from the vegetables section is you have so many incredible recipes in your book as well. Oh yes. And like, for example, from the happy pear, I happened to see that one. I'm like, Oh my gosh, delicious recipes. Mm. Mm.
1: Now the great thing, so I've done something quite good with the book. I don't know if your listeners are watching and they can see it's a journal type book. So it's like a friend, you know, it's going to guide you through the lifestyle changes that you want to make. But it's not a full color cookbook. You know, this is not something that you will have all the color uh, images and people get a bit put off by that because they love to see what they're going to make. So what I've done is I've added a QR code to the book. And so people can just, um, uh, flash the QR code over their phone, and then they'll be able to go to a landing page on my website where all of the recipes have beautiful images. So you can decide which one you like most, which one you're going to uh, prepare next. So it kind of gives you the best of a cookbook, um, but you've also got the um, bespoke journal because there's, it's very practical, actually. There's, a, there's a, a plan that you can make at the back based on your own medical history and your background. So Um, yeah, uh, I wanted to make sure people could check the recipes and look at the pictures, um, without having to have a color book as well.
0: Yeah. I, um, I used, I did the QR codes. It worked on my PDF and it's just brilliant. You've done a really phenomenal job with that. Whose idea was that to do that?
1: Um, that was my idea. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Wow! yeah. So smart.
1: So (laughs) (laughs) thank you. It never
0: stops. All the great thoughts. Um, all right, let's talk about sleep because I think more people than I, I, I think this is a full-blown pandemic with people, not, not sleeping enough. Um, would you agree?
1: I would agree. Rip. Yes, <laughs> I would. And you know it's one of the things again, that people, I think there's two categories of person. The first category is someone that doesn 't really get how important sleep is and doesn 't prioritize it, and then they just don 't realize that it might be negatively impacting their life and Then you get the second type of person who really struggle with sleep and spend every waking moment wishing they could sleep more and trying every single thing they could possibly think of to get a better night 's sleep and still struggling mm. so I think the advice for those two d- types of person is a little bit different, but for those of us who don't really prioritize it, then you know the chapter is extremely helpful because it shows you why you need to prioritize it and some practical tips, especially for people who are shift workers. There's mounting evidence that if you're a shift worker, you're going to be at a slight disadvantage when it comes to getting a good night's sleep and the physi- physiological repercussions of that. So I really wanted to provide practical tips for people who can't change their shift patterns and, you know, enjoy their jobs and want to keep doing what they do uh, to maximize their um, sleep, sleep, wake rhythms and improve their sleep. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of practical tips there and yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's really important. And for those who are suffering, for those who who are suffering from insomnia, there are some great tips there as well, but it's slightly different, I think, depending on where you're coming from.
0: Yeah. I can tell you <clears throat> being a, you know, a full-time firefighter for, uh, over 12 years, um, and we were we worked 24 on, and then we were off 48 hours. Um, being woken up, uh, you know, six to ten times between midnight and 7 a.m. was just brutal. And so, for almost 12 years, I was always trying to figure out my sleep, and I didn't. Yeah. I not think I realized what what kind of um, what kind of damage it did. To my system so that's one, 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 one of the reasons why i'm so grateful that i am not a firefighter i miss so many things about it but uh having consistent sleep is something that you can uh, just love it um yeah I, I, tell me this how do you sleep
1: i sleep very well <laughs> um I think for me, my problems with sleep in the past have been externally caused because when you are a parent, especially of younger children, then you're not going to be able to control your own sleep patterns as easily because your children dictate your sleep patterns sometimes. I mean, you can have a strict routine and you can have ways of doing things where the kids are going to wake you up less, but I think especially when they're in the younger years um it's it's completely normal and natural to expect your sleep patterns to be disrupted and that's that's a challenge you know that's a real challenge for let's face it mostly um new, new mums mm-hmm. especially when you're nursing and so on um so i think that that was probably the biggest sleep challenge for me but i used to be a shift worker too and for a long time i would do a full week of nights um long yep. days and um it It wasn't good for me and I'm glad not to be doing it now, but I think like you, I recognize that um, some people don't um, have the luxury of not doing shift work. And Mm. uh, these are the people that keep our society together, people like firefighters and nurses and so on. So I really wanted to be able to give them some great tips and tools that they can use um, to help yeah. them feel better and and to improve their overall health so yeah it's it's definitely one of those things that that um, is underthought of and
0: mm-hmm.
1: a simple thing to, to elevate your health
0: mm-hmm. well you mentioned how one in three roughly one in three people suffer from bad sleep and um, I I, 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 mean, I just can speak for myself I love the routine that I've gotten into as of late right what time i go to bed how dark i have the room you know no no lights anywhere the perfect pillow but so let me ask you this what's the most important thing for you would it be like the perfect smooth 2000 count cotton sheets would it be the right pillow darkness or 65 degrees if you could only take like one or two of those <clears throat>
1: The most important factor is a consistent sleep pattern. So, um, making sure that you don't lie in at weekends or when you think, oh, well, I haven't slept well, so I'm going to just have a lie in the most important factor for really improving your day night rhythm is to make sure that you get up at the same time every day Mm -hmm. and, um, when you do that, um, it allows you to your body to recognize when it's time to feel sleepy in, in the hours to come and um getting daylight early on in the day as well is really helpful so say for example, you consistently have a habit where you get up at six thirty a m say as an example, um, making sure that you go and look outside, whatever the weather, whether it 's raining or snowing or it doesn't have to be a full sunshine day, but just look at the sky. Um, it allows you to set your day-night rhythm really well. Um, you release um, the right amount of serotonin, and then uh, 12 hours later, a certain amount of that can be converted to melatonin, and that allows you to start to feel sleepy at the right time. And so it's actually your morning habits that really set you up for good ne- good sleep in the nighttime.
0: Mm. Yeah. Would you have any thoughts on napping?
1: Napping depends on a lot of things. So the length of the nap is important. And whether you are somebody who suffers from insomnia, if you are someone that suffers from insomnia, daytime napping is not particularly helpful because it just means that you got less of a sleep drive later on. However, if you're not someone that suffers from insomnia and you benefit from a nap, then having a relatively short nap is great because you don't set yourself up for a prolonged sleep cycle and then, again, losing that sleep drive later on. So naps are good if they're taken at the right time of day and for the right amount of time.
0: Mm. What are your thoughts on screens?
1: Screens are an interesting phenomenon because we have not had them in our lives for more than really one generation when it comes at least to the high-intensity blue light screens that I'm talking about in terms of tablets and phones. We've had TVs, but that's slightly different because it's further away and it's a slightly different uh, intensity. So when we're looking at phones and tablets, um, it can turn off our Day-night rhythms, sadly, and it can be a real challenge for us to get that sleep drive back. Um, so, you know, it sounds as though you're already aware of that yourself and you're aiming to avoid Like screens in the bedroom and keeping it nice and dark, um, things like that. That's really important. Interestingly, blue light is vital early on in the day to set that day-night rhythm. But it's also the only light that can actually penetrate the retina. Um, And I find that quite interesting because we don't really know the long-term impacts of looking at blue light all day, every day. Uh, And what that actually does for our vision later on in life, I'd be really interested to see how Mm. it it affects um, rates of things like um, macular degeneration, for example, in the next generation, because we're just looking at so many more screens and blue lights than ever before.
0: So you think it might potentially accelerate those things?
1: I I think so. It's the only um, frequency of light that can penetrate the retina, you see. Mm. And, and and it's important. Like, it's it's not a bad thing. It's just we need to make sure that we don't have it all the time. And when we're wanting to try and go to sleep. Um, so, yeah. Yeah.
0: I've never heard that term before. Pen- penetrate the retina. It sounds very dangerous.
1: <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it does, doesn't it?
0: I'm gonna. So, so I'm gonna next time my kids are on the screens, I'm gonna say, "Stop penetrating your retina."
1: <laughs> I was gonna say, maybe I should phrase it slightly differently, uh, oh, but no. I don't
0: know. <laughs> I don't think you should. Let me ask you this: So your kids, your your kids are outside right now. They're probably waiting to go to bed. Do you think they're on screens?
1: No, I told them that there were no more screens after I left, and you know what? I thought I was only going to be about forty-five minutes, but we've I, been here for an hour and a half.
0: <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm gonna let I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go so you can put these, put these, put these guys in and yeah. give them the love that only you can.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely! Oh, they're lovely only boys. A, they only, really are.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Gemma, before we go, um, do you do you love your name? Do you like your name?
1: Sometimes I love my name. Now, what's interesting about my name is that it became really popular in the UK in the from the late 70s to the early 90s. Maybe, no, late 70s to maybe late 80s. Mm-hmm. And so... There are certain names. I know. I don't know how you feel about this in, in America. It's slightly different. The names that you choose there over the ones that we choose here. But there are certain names that have eras attached to them. Like, for example, in the UK, if you're called Ethel, it's pretty much guaranteed that you were probably born uh, between 1910 and
0: 1930.
1: Right. <laughs> so I feel as though my name attaches me to an era of history, <laughs> because nobody's called Gemma here anymore.
0: <laughs> um. Yeah. I don't so, know anybody. I don't know anybody in the United States. It's called Gemma. It's very, oh, it's very, I don't. It's very unique.
1: Oh, good. Well, I'm glad to be unique in the U.S. And it, it, I believe it's an Italian name, and obviously it means a uh, precious gem. So yeah, that's yeah. that's nice. That's nice.
0: A that precious gem you are. Wow. Um, well, Gemma, I, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed. This conversation, how much I've loved laughing with you, getting silly with you, all this incredible information, these six um, habits that everybody should engage in. And I love the way you say, all you need to do to begin is just, you have to have a readiness to be vulnerable and then a desire to begin and then get after it. A hundred
1: percent, and I I make it so simple. I distill it into three things that you should do, and I I put so you you'll hear you'll see all that when you you get the book. It's a very practical guide. I want everybody to feel that they can give it a go, and when they fall down, they can get back up again. You know, when they feel as though they've not quite got on track, they can just get back on track. You know, it's it's a very forgiving book, um, which I hope people will treat as a friend.
0: Yeah. Will you hold it up again for everybody? Yeah. There it Here is. Here it
1: is.
0: Get well, stay well by Dr. Gemma Newman. Gemma, um, will you give me a virtual plant strong fist bump on the way out?
1: Absolutely. Ah. There we go.
0: <laughs> All right. All the best.
1: Thank you, Rip. Thank you so you, much for everything.
0: Yeah, you rock. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Get well, stay well. The six healing health habits that you need to know is being released in the US and hardback on March 7th. So you'll definitely want to pre-order it now. Inside, you'll find pages for journaling and personal reflection, along with follow along exercises. This year, let's all put on our gloves and practice these six healing habits. Gratitude, love, being outside, eating our vegetables, exercising, and getting great sleep. That all sounds like the perfect prescription for happiness and health this year from the plant powered doctor herself, Gemma Newman. As always, I'll link up all the resources in the show notes. And once again, Happy New Year to you. Thanks for listening and sharing. And always keep it plant strong. The Plant Strong podcast team includes Carrie Barrett. Lori Kordowicz and Amy Mackey. If you like what you hear, do us a favor and share the show with your friends and loved ones. And you can always leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And while you're there, make sure to hit that follow button so that you never miss an episode. As always, this and every episode of the Plan Strong Podcast is dedicated to my incredible parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn, Jr., and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks so much for listening.